more than 100 unique styles of beer, each with their own set of ingredients, process, guidelines, history, and experience. If you're a beer lover, an industry leader, or somewhere in between, a better knowledge of beer style will improve your life and your work. Welcome to A Sense of Beer Style, essential beer style training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. I'm Julia Herz. And I'm Jeremy Storton. We're advanced Cicerones, beer judges, home brewers, and we're excited to guide you through the vast and wonderful world of beer styles. Welcome back, everyone. Hey, Julia, always great to see you. Um, today, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, this is, I'm sorry, I, I'm going to nerd out just real quick. This is a really really fun beer style. Um, the, the, the vital stats are kind of exciting to me. The, the story behind it is kind of exciting to me. And of course, the drinking of it is really, really exciting. Of course, we're talking about Icebach. Um, uh, you know, this has a fantastic story. Uh, I, I don't know if it's 100% true, but everyone tells a story. This is, we're, of course, we're talking about strong European beer according to the 2021 BJCP guidelines. Um, Julia always likes to put that in there. I want to make sure I get it in there at least once in one of these uh, episodes. Um, the, the Eisbach in the late 1800s in Kombach uh, in uh, Germany, the story goes that some brewer uh, left a barrel of Doppelbach out in the freezing cold one winter, and it was so cold that it froze over. And uh, when he brought it in, uh, he had to serve it anyway because it didn't have anything else. And uh, it and uh, basically, the the water of this beer froze, and what was left over was super rich, super strong, and everyone loved it. And voila, a beer style was born. Um, and they they named it Ice Bock in to kind of be reminiscent of ice wine that they also have done with a similar uh, ice dis, uh, distillation process. Um, but this is the story of Ice Bock, uh, and it has a fantastic. Uh, uh, story behind the ingredients and how they brew it, as well as the process and how to get this beer. And we'll talk about how you can do this beer at home, um, how you can make it yourself. Uh, and all you need is just a few tools, some Doppelbach and a, and a little bit of time. But Julia, talk to us about the uh, the ingredients and the process of making this beer. Sure. And I love your introduction, Jeremy. And this is a style that kind of originated in the city of Kumbach in um, Franconia in Germany in the 1800s. Um, and it kind of did, as you're somewhat pointing out, come along as an accident. Uh, but beautiful things come from uh, accidents, right? And the characteristic ingredients are key here because it basically is a Doppelbach, um, but then was essentially frozen. Um, and so that's going to be key when anyone talks about Eisbach and the ingredients, you're basically thinking of Doppelbach ingredients, which are a base malt or base fermentables of Pils malt, German Pilsner malt, Vienna and Munich malts, right? Those medium kiln level malts, Vienna and Munich supplementing the Pilsner malt, which is more of just the base um, to give us some fermentables and some sweetness. And then, you know, sometimes you've got darker malts, depending on the brewer for color adjustment based on the style guidelines explaining that. And then you've got German noble hops, as is indicative of all German beer styles, including Doppelbach and Eisbach. And then decoction mashing is mentioned in the style guidelines where they talk about the ingredients. So it's not really an ingredient decoction, but it's a process done towards the style um, and uh, some of those styles 
where you pull off a portion, and we will do a whole prepisode on decoction. You pull up a portion of the wort, the unfermented beer, and you concentrate it. You boil it even further, and then you blend it back in, and it gives you layers and added complexity, which is certainly um, the name of the game because this style is so layered and so complex. And with that, um, let's start talking sensory. So why don't you take us through appearance, Jeremy, and tell people what it looks like. Yeah, so uh, this beer, um, you know, I'm trying to arouse it. Of course, on screen, it's going to look pretty dark, but I've I've got lights behind it. Um, it is as it should be, this, this deep copper mahogany brown. Um, they talk about having ruby or garnet highlights, especially if you kind of look at it at the edges. It just really comes through this just beautiful, beautiful ruby color. Um, but that being said, I mean, the beer should be clear if you can see through it. Um, the uh, foam that forms on it should be kind of a, a light to medium off-white kind of, I get like a tan or kind of a light khaki colored, uh, assuming you can rouse the, the foam. It's not always going to be there, particularly in stronger examples. You may not have a good foam. Um, foam and higher percentage of alcohol don't always get along well. So if you don't see a good head retention, don't worry about it. Uh, you're you're going to enjoy the beer. Um but one of the things, too, that I love about these beers, they're not always going to have them, but the richer, the stronger uh, alcohol beers, when you kind of tilt it on the side and do that little trick that they do with wine, and then watch the the viscosity of it down. They call it the legs. The, the legs will drip down, and there's some, you can tell that there's some body to this. That is what I expect to see when I'm looking uh kind of at a, a, a good ice block. Um, but of course there is some variation. So this is not going to be one of those things where if you don't see the legs, it's not an ice block. No, this is just a, a snapshot of a good example, but there will be some variation. Um, what about the, uh, aroma? Well, aroma on an ice block again, is really going to be lent from what you would notice in your German Doppelbach. Um, I'm going to do a true reveal here where I, I friskily grabbed a, a beer from my cellar for the show. And it is an Icebach from one of the classic uh, breweries, Schneiderweiss. But the catch is Aventinus Icebach is really a, uh, a Weizen, a wheat-based Icebach. Mm -hmm. So pay attention to that. Um, true style guidelines are not going to um, emphasize other versions, right? Uh, but yep. when I smelled this, I was reminded to calibrate my, our listeners that you're not necessarily looking for that um, Weizen ale yeast aromas that I am getting in my glass from the Weizenbach base that was then turned into an Icebach from Aventinus Brewery. What you're really looking for is those aromas dominated by, you know, the ale yeast or the lager yeast, forgive me, that are clean fermentation profile. So you're not looking for a lot of esters and phenols in these ice box. You're really looking for that rich, malty, intense um, uh, essence of uh, medium level kilned malts. You're also looking for a big dose of ethanol. These do tend to be um, more girthy, I shall say, making up words now um, on <laughs> the uh, ethanol level. And then the malt, you know, leads you into the flavors that Jeremy will talk about in a minute of those toasted bread um, crust notes. Put the pizza in the brick oven, pull it out. The bubbling edges of that pizza crust where it didn't get burnt is exactly the aromas and the flavors that we're going to talk to you about. Um, some dark fruits, um, plums and grapes are, are definitely uh, available and around in the aroma on fresh versions. Um, but you're not looking for hop aroma. It's more about the malt. 
um, and not the yeast aroma either. It's malt and ethanol mostly here, um, but you don't want that ethanol to be harsh or solventy and the, and the guidelines point that out. So with that setup, what does it taste like? Well, and, and, you know, a beer like this, it really should be one of those beers that you savor. It should be one of those things that you really pay close attention to, um, you know, you know, stop the conversation, turn off the, the TV and just pay attention, at least for a little bit. I'm going to start with what this beer should not be. Um, it should not be harsh. It should not be hot as in the alcohol. It should not be fusily or or have any just these, you know, it shouldn't smell like acetone, shouldn't taste like acetone. Um, you know, the fermentation uh, should be clean, but uh, it should be a smooth and, and deceptively kind of an easy drinking beer, but there's a lot going on. So uh, it should also uh, not have any uh, hop flavor. I mean, with everything that's going on with the malt, if you can detect the flavor of the hops, then, you know, hats off to you. But uh, most people, the like 99.9% .9 of the people are not going to taste the, the flavor of the hops. You'll get just a touch of hop bitterness that's there only to keep it from being too cloying and too sweet and, um, and, and just keep it within balance. Uh, and the thing about this beer is it's the the subtle bitterness and the amount of alcohol, which is really adding balance to the malt. And that's that's something unique and interesting to uh, the style of beer. But what should it be? It should be rich. It should be have this beautiful elegance um, and these Maillard flavors and just this complexity that can take you to toasty and caramel and chocolate and nuts and 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 dark fruits, dark dried fruits. Um and even if there's a little bit of age, typically these beers can stand a little age and refine a little bit, maybe get a little bit of honey, um, you know, maybe get a, a little bit of like a, um, a almond extract type of, of flavors coming through that can be can be really lovely. Oh, but this is this is a wonderful, wonderful beer. Um, mouthfeel. This is uh, this is one of those beers that is uh, kind of exciting when we start talking mouthfeel. You want to take that one on? Yeah, and well done on flavor. My mouth is watering, speaking of mouthfeel. Um, and body is a component of mouthfeel. It's not the other way around, right? Mouthfeel is the overall category. And that is the third component of flavor is mouthfeel. Then there's basic taste and aromatic compounds. So mouthfeel is rightly so covered as its own grouping in the style guidelines to be evaluated. And for this icebox, you're obviously looking for full to very full-bodied um, so meaning girth on the tongue, a little bit of weight, um, lower carbonation. And again, remember, I'm cheating with the Weizenbach, who's got a really more aggressive yeast, going to have more aggressive cholera foam. So lower carbonation uh, is a part of the mouthfeel, not medium or higher carbonation. It's not about that carbonic bite. Um, and then alcohol warming, we keep talking about ethanol. It is going to affect the mouthfeel. It, to me, gives it more girth, more weight mm -hmm. um, on the tongue and soft palate. And then smooth and silky, right? These um, sweet, sultry malt flavors with, with higher residual sugar is going to be silky and smooth. And it's got its um, its own uh, sense of uh, texture almost because of the, the beer and the malt profile there. You don't want harsh edges from alcohol. And the bitterness, as you said, is not really there for the mouthfeel. Um, and it's uh, really more of a smooth, silky, sultry beer uh, when, you are, when you are tasting it and evaluating mouthfeel. So what about styles that it is compared to? Well, style comparison, this is kind of 
pretty simple. I mean, this is a very, very strong beer. Um, and we'll talk about vital stats in just a minute. Um, but uh, uh, so we're going to compare those to barley wines and old ales and, and strong ales, stuff like that. Um, so icebox really are a just a doppelbach that's been freeze distilled. So it's even stronger and richer. Um, but compared to um, like an old ale, it's not going to have uh, quite that aged character compared to a barley wine. It's not going to have uh, the the same type of ingredients that you would expect from a, an English barley wine or the hop presence of an American barley wine. Um, and even a wheat wine, uh, this Aventinas has some wheat in it. Um, even a wheat wine is still going to be like a barley wine made with wheat. It's not going to be a vice beer. It's not going to have that banana clove, um, but it's just going to be this thick, rich, fluffy beer. This is very similar to all of that, but imagine... Uh, uh, imagine uh, kind of like a malt profile of like a, a Belgian quad with all the fruit and the and the um, excuse me and the uh, uh, nuts and the uh, without it being too uh, toasty. It doesn't even get close to roasty. Um, so it really is pretty unique, but it does kind of uh, rub elbows with some of these other stronger beers and in, in the other categories. Um, uh, and this one will be real simple. What's a good commercial example of, of an ice buck? Well, the style guidelines are truly definitive in this and for 2021 beer judge certification program guidelines, which obviously since a beer style, this show follows it's Kuhlenbacher ice buck, right? From the mm -hmm. city of origin, um, in Germany. Uh, but then you have the variants. Um, you're not going to see a lot of other breweries really hang their hat. And it's a very complex, expensive beer. Um, Adventinus or Schneiderweiss, you know, are going to have their, uh, sorry, Schneiderweiss, um, are going to have, um, their examples and, and, and many people also point to that German brewery as well as other German breweries, but we're not seeing a lot of commercial examples in the U S. Um, I would say the first time I ever had an ice pack though, was from a U.S. brewer. It was a collaboration beer for a, uh, craft brewers conference hosted by the Brewers Association, my employer. And New Glarus brewed an ice box. Mm. And my mind was blown. It was richer and sweeter and more sultry and sexy and, and seductive than anything I could think of in a beer style. And it is a get to know me beer style for days, weeks, months, and, you know, all year long. Um, and it's something that you could live off of. Uh, you know, monks have historically said that they have uh, practiced and um, you know, worked on uh, Lent and whatnot and refrained from food, but uh, sneaking a little Doppelbach or Icebach is probably uh, done very often in that practice. Uh, so when you're fasting, even and you're a monk, you go to this style in Doppelbach, but Kuhlenbach or Icebach is where to go, especially based on the Beer Judge Certification Program guidelines. And so yeah. with that, let's talk vital stats and give our listeners to round it out if they're studying the style, what to pay attention to. And and that's where this is fun. And I found uh, there's a great way to remember this one. This one, uh, you know, it, we've most of us have heard the story about the tall poppy syndrome. This beer is a tall poppy that sticks out above the rest. The the ABV in this beer is is the highest of all of them. It goes from nine to fourteen. Granted, I have seen beers that are higher ABV, but as a style, this one. Uh, goes outside of the charts, nine to fourteen uh, uh, percent ABV. The IBUs they kind of pretty much follow 
the the German trend for its beers. Uh, you know, the, the German trend is typically twenty to thirty with some variation because this is a bigger beer. They add a little bit more hops for balance, so twenty five to thirty five is how I remembered it. Um, so it's really not that hoppy. Uh, and the SRM, you know, we're we're talking about um, dark amber to uh, to kind of a deep brown. So we're in the the seventeen to thirty range. Where it gets really interesting, <clears throat> excuse me, where it gets interesting is the original gravity on a strong beer. It's, it's going to be high. So uh, we're talking from 9 to 14. To the original gravity, according to the guidelines, shows uh, 1078 to uh, 1120. Um, and, and so there's a. it shows that this is going to be a strong beer. This is where I get really excited about. Because remember, we talked about the final gravity is a clue to let you know about the body. Anything under uh, 1010 is going to be fairly light bodied. Anything from 1010 to 1020 is going to have a little bit of body to it. This beer, uh, the final gravity range is from 1020 to 1035. That is either the highest or among the highest final gravities in this list. So this is a full bodied beer. You're, you're not... It's not big enough to actually stick a spoon in and watch the spoon slowly lean to the side. It's not that thick, but but it's I'm going to use this uh, uh, phrase intentionally. It's palatable. Uh, you can feel it in your mouth. It, it's just wonderful. Um, so those are the final stats, uh, and that's just a way to help memorize this one. It definitely is different from all the rest. Um, let's talk about the glassware and what temp you would serve it at. So I do not have, as a beer educator, and that's okay, right? Um, every perfect glass in my um, cabinets for every perfect beer. I see Jeremy with a Belgian-style tulip, and I frankly mm -hmm. thought about using that, but then silently um, chastised myself and said, we can't do that, but I love that you're going there. <laughs> It's a perfect glass for this. I mean, classic glassware usually comes from the brewery, is logoized, and it's then it's based on the shape that they want. But I've got it in a, you know, a, a classic half liter stein. And I, I like that effect, but I also have to admit, if I'm having two ice box, it's going to be a big party of a night. Um, and Jeremy's glass is going to showcase and concentrate more some of the aromatics. You're not interested in needing to volatize off a lot of that lower carbonation. So I actually think your glass is the better suited glass. Putting this in a pint glass would be a shame because that means somebody's pouring mm -hmm. 16 ounces of it at a time. We're used to getting 12 ounces at a time out of the bottle. 12 ounces or less, right? Eight ounces would even be better. Or you go six and six and you split a bottle with somebody and then maybe you go to two, but you might feel that residual sugar the next day. So I want a glass that's going to not worry about having to volatize out the carbonation, um, but also concentrate the flavors. And so I definitely owe to your glass, Jeremy. And serving temperature wise, any of my beer styles, my beer cellar set at 42 degrees Fahrenheit, and I am going to want these more above the 8% alcohol by volume. That's what Jeremy means when he says ABV, alcohol by volume range, above 8%. I'm going to want them at 45 to uh, high 40s or, or low cellar temperatures at low 50s. I'm going to want to get to know it a little cooler in the mid 45 Fahrenheit range. And then as I drink that 6 to 8 to 12 ounces, I'm going to want it to warm up. And then that's going to help it showcase and um, be even more discover discoverable. Um, as each sip is more warming as I drink it. Yeah. 
you know, one thing to note, uh, you know, Cicerone in some of their books recommend a Willie Becker, maybe a Pilsner, or maybe even a Snifter glass for this. Honestly, at, at you know, 9% on the low end, going up to 14%, I'm inclined to go with the Snifter or this Tulip because, you know, th this is a plan ahead type of beer, especially if it reaches 14%. Um, and, and, and you said it perfectly, but my general rule of thumb is the the darker and stronger it is, the warmer I want it. So this one, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking 45 degrees at a minimum. And, and so I've been holding it like this on screen, but uh, off screen, I've been holding it in my hand like this just to help warm it up and finally get some get some uh, uh, volatiles. Yeah, which is out. a great pro, trip, pro tip. Yep. If you want to um, enhance the uh, rapid warming of your glass, that's why many glasses aren't footed and you would cup it around your hands, both hands even, while you're chatting, while you're enjoying your meal, while you're socializing, and then it warms it up fast. Yeah. Um, okay. And before we talk about how to make this beer at home, let's talk about what you would pair it with. Um, I, I've, I've got some ideas. If I were to pair anything with this, because this is fantastic all by itself, I, I might just pair this with a, a Friday night and some jazz or or something. But what would you pair with this? Right. And let's take a moment on pairing. And I like your comment because it is dessert in a glass, but it's also an entree in a glass or the warmer upper aperitif, right? Um, an appetizer. 9 to 14%, people should not freak out about that in a beer. Hey, y'all, we're busy drinking that. Most California reds that I'm coming across these days are way above 12. In the uh, modern era, they're going 13, 14% ABV. So yes, it can be dessert in a glass. That's not just based on the ABV, but the sugar content, right? But if you're going to pair this, you want something to stand up to it. Half a pairing is intensity. And so I'm going to put this with a creme brulee that's been charred on top with a torch. And it's really going to link mm -hmm. and echo with the sweet residual malt flavors and melanoidin um, uh, notes that you mentioned. Uh, and those brown malt notes and those medium kiln labor, you know, toasted pizza dough, bread crust, Vienna Munich malt notes with the top of that creme brulee. And then as I, you know, crust through the crack with my spoon, if you can imagine that, and then I get to the creamy part of it, this Doppelbach is going to fall into that creme brulee and it is going to marry with it in a way that is so memorable. I've never had it, but I need to have that now based on this description. The other piece before I want Jeremy, my fellow amazing beer pairer, to squeak into the conversation for consideration is, is Beer is incredible for cooking, right? Um, one of my colleagues, Chef Adam Dooley of the Brewers Association, has written a whole book on cooking with beer. My essence in writing about beer, and beer pairing is my big beer pairing book that I co-authored with Gwen Conley, we really write about pairing the beer with the food, not necessarily cooking with it too often. But we did squeak in some uh, intel there. We have a whole section on actually concentrating down Doppelbach. So if you're going to concentrate a Doppelbach, why not work with an Icebach, which has even more um, residual sugar and flavors to work with? Why? Because maybe it was frozen. It was a frozen Doppelbach and they pull away the ice, less water. And then you've got even more of that malt sugary sweetness wart that turned into beer. And you cook that, you concentrate it down. Do note when you concentrate it, the essence of that 25 to 35 bitterness units becomes more intense but then you can use it in a sauce and you'd use it in a sauce for duck dishes, chicken dishes, mm -hmm. over steak when you're, you know, sauteing it and the like. It's an excellent sauce if you concentrate it down um, because there's so much flavor to offer. 
And I've actually done that with uh, beer and with uh, and actually with some really leftover watered down ward. You basically create this. Uh, um, uh, well, yeah, this just malt syrup, and it's just it, it's just wonderful yes. to drizzle over like spicy meat or something like that. It, it's yes. a great thing to kind of play with. Um, I, I feel like I'm just uh, kind of going to be a, a kind of slight addition to what you just talked about. I, it was a fantastic and amazing, and I'd love to just kind of sit here and listen. Um, but if I were to put together a dinner around this beer, I want to start with, uh, like an Alpine cheese, like a Gruyere, maybe some prosciutto or a Spanish chorizo, which is slightly, uh, slightly spicy, a little bit fatty and just delicious. I'd probably move to some like type of wild game, whether it's a, I don't know, duck, venison or elk or something along those lines. But then you mentioned creme brulee. I'm so glad you did because I almost uh, put that on my list and, and I would still have that, but I was thinking, you know, most people have had creme brulee, but how about an Italian olive oil cake where it's just like, it just the texture is smooth. There's a slight savory oliveness, but just a, a subtle sweetness. And I'm, with this, it would just. I'm intrigued. I'm one of the probably oh, 90% of our listeners that have never maybe had that. I, I not oh. come across that. I, I urge everyone to find Italian olive oil cake. Um, and that's fantastic with barley wines and icebox. But um, one last thing, let's talk about how to make uh, an icebox at home if you can't find one. Um, have you ever done this, Julia? Have you? Have you? No, Jeremy, please. My heart is warmed <laughs> and, and so open to what you're going to share. Please. Oh, go. my gosh. This, this is so much fun and it is so easy. So go to the store, buy yourself a Doppelbock of choice. Um, when you get home, uh, we don't want to stick the beer in the freezer and the freezer should be about zero degrees. We don't want to stick the bottle in the freezer because if it does freeze, it can explode. We don't want that. It's a mess and dangerous. Safety. So we're going to de safety first. Um, we're going to decant this beer into, uh, I use a kind of a, a half, um, a half size growlette. And so I'll pour the beer into this thing, stick it in the freezer, let it sit overnight. So all the water is going to freeze. And if the beer freezes too, no problem. But you have to understand the physics of it. Alcohol and water freeze at two different temperatures. Um, alcohol takes a much colder temperature to freeze. And uh, so after the whole thing is frozen, then I took basically a, a shaker, uh, not a shaker pint, but like, you know, when I'm making martinis, my little shaker uh, mixer kit. And I uh, put my uh, growlette upside down. So the, the, the alcohol, the beer is going to melt first and the water will melt last. So the stuff you get first is basically ice distilled ice block of your own making. Now it's not going to be as carbonated as the normal stuff, but I dare you to try it. And I promise you, you will get over it abruptly. Hells yeah, is all I'm going to say to that. I'm totally going to try it. And that is a form of home DIYing it. It's not necessarily brewing because it was already brewed, but boy, are you taking one style and turning it into another? Jeremy, thank you for that. It's just yeah, fabulous. it's super I'm fun. Try it out. Yeah, and 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 uh, Julia, tell all your friends, all your homebrewer friends. I'm on it. I'll, <laughs> I'll do a video episode where I actually do it. I'm gonna actually brew the Doppelbach first, which I gotta get to. Everyone, if you keep listening to Sense of Beer Style, hold me accountable. Ask me um, in three episodes that you have listened to after that, feel free to ping me and say, have you brewed that Doppelbach and turned it to an ice box based on Jeremy's tip? Yep. Awesome. 
Hey, well, thank you again for joining us. Uh, this is a fantastic beer. If you've never had an Icebox, get one, save it for when you're at home and you're in a safe place and enjoy the heck out of it. But uh, otherwise, cheers. Cheers to you all. Thank you for listening to Essence of Beer Style, the essential beer style training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. With advanced Cicerones, me, Julia. And me, Jeremy. Tune into the next episode as we continue exploring the world of beer styles and what to make of them. We encourage you to listen to the prepisodes to build your foundation and better understand beer styles. And before the next episode, I'd like to ask you to review the show and let us know what you'd like featured in upcoming episodes. Until next time, here's to you and your sense of beer style. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.